Welcome to The Meeting Room, a place to gather and discuss all things relating to meat safety, quality, and production. In the past week, over 579,000 cattle, 2.2 million hogs, 30,000 sheep, 9,200 goats, and 970 bison were harvested in the United States. In industry news this week, JBS in Grand Island, Nebraska, reported a five-alarm fire on Monday, September 13. The fire was in the rendering room of the plant, and though the plant was shut down for the day, it was back online the following day. Following an investigation by the Grand Island Fire Department, a heater used to dry animal products that vented through the roof was found to be the cause of the flames. I had been in that plant a week before and was told that they harvest about 5,000 head a day, and so fortunately this fire did not take them offline for very long. Alamel, a Canadian-based meat packing company, announced the closure of the Henryville Pork Further Processing Plant in southwest Quebec. The 70,000-square-foot facility will close on November 12th and will result in the loss of 29 jobs. However, those employees have the opportunity to relocate to another plant. Chipotle is adding smoked brisket to its menu. The brisket is seasoned with a variety of spices and a Mexican pepper sauce. The product was tested in over 60 restaurants in Ohio and California and will soon be available on menus nationwide. I'm often not a huge supporter of their menu offerings, however, this does seem like a pretty good addition. Welcome to the meeting room. My name is Brianna Boozman, and this week I am joined by Dr. Jessica Lancaster with Buckhead Meat and Seafood. So Jessica, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm excited to visit with Jessica. She and I went to grad school together at University of Idaho. Uh, I was getting my master's while she was working on her PhD. And so it's a little bit of an adjustment for me to refer to her as doctor, but I'll just have to get used to it. Uh, but Jessica, thank you for joining me. And I'm going to toss it over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what you do with Buckhead Meat and Seafood. Yeah, Brianna, thank you for having me. It's definitely uh, things have changed since we were in grad school. It's exciting to see what you've done at the University of Nebraska. Um, and my life has also changed. I'm now with Buckhead Meats and Seafood here in Houston. I stepped into a role uh, where I manage a multi-million pound fajita operation. When I took the job, I had no idea that there was such a demand for fajitas, but it's exciting uh, to see our customers be excited about beef and wanting to put beef on their menu. I also get to work on the dry aging side of things uh, with restaurants and getting them to involve more of that on their menu. And then I also work with restaurants and our salespeople about meat education and ways to uh, put more protein on the menu as well as have the sale of those items. Awesome. So with the fajita meat, that's something that I know we visited about it some, but it just kind of blows my mind. Is most of that going into restaurants? Is it going into frozen meals? Uh, what is that product actually going to? Yeah, great question. So we're a specialty meat company. And so what we do is we really buy that box beef that's coming out of those processing plants and we further process it. And our customers are largely restaurants. So anywhere that Cisco serves, and then we have some street customers here in Houston, 
but they buy fajitas. We see it, it as everything from fajitas on the menu to in taco bowls. Uh, fajita meat is used a lot of different ways. And it just blows my mind that that's just such a huge segment of it and very much a value added product. What kind of cuts, I guess, typically do you guys use for that? Yeah, I think that as most of us think about fajitas, we really think about our inside and outside skirts, the ones that are the most uh, traditional. But there's a lot of other cuts that can be utilized. And especially as we think of right now, beef prices are insanely high. We talk about that every day at work and trying to guess when we're going to see a drop. So there are some other cuts that we can also marinate and use them in a cubed or strip type application with marinade and still have them as a fajita type product. So when you do that, do you like take these big cuts and then you marinate them? Do you do any of the like pre-cooking or does do they still all go out raw? Are they sliced? Like what is the, what does the final product actually look like that you guys sell? Good question. So everything we send out is raw, either in the fresh state or frozen state. So all of the restaurants and food services are further dealing with that. We do have uh, specialty meats groups across the United States and everyone has a little different specialty, but ours is all fresh fajita headed out the door. And it's pretty cool to think it gets distributed all across the country. And so it's kind of fun to go in, drive through Houston and point out all the restaurants we serve. Yeah, that's awesome. And does your location do any other products or is it all fajita in the building or the actual location that you're at? And beef also, is it all just beef? So our location is very large. We have fajitas. Uh, We also have a lot of cut steaks. So customers wanting t-bones we sell a lot of like french items so restaurants wanting a french pork chop on their menu we do a lot of that specialty cutting in-house we also have a full chicken section so whether it be deboning portioning things marinating things that all happens in the chicken room and then we also have a whole seafood side of the building so pretty much every specialty meat you can think of we run through our facility That is just so cool. And one of the cool things also with that is when you're doing these further process things, it's major expense, right? You know, this it's none of those cuts are cheap to start with, but since you guys aren't doing the killing, the fabbing, all of that, you don't have to worry about, oh, what are we going to do with our offal or our hides or any of the rendering things like that, which is just kind of a cool segment of the industry to and to see, I guess. Yeah, and I would say so pretty similar to what we see in our processing plants. We really have very little waste coming out of our facility. Even our trim items, we have applications that we can use those. And so for product that comes in, pretty much the same amount of product heads out to the door to our customer's plates. You know, a lot of people likely think, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, before I went to grad school, I had taken meats classes, but I didn't, I don't feel like I knew that much about the meat industry, even though I I grew up on a farm, my family though, it was cow calf. So I didn't always think about the end product quite as much as I should have. But I think a lot of times people think that like meat leaves the packing plant ready to purchase at the grocery store. But your company is an example of some of the steps that can occur in between. 
Can you just explain a little bit of what it looks like um, in the process of going from a plant to the co-packer to the final consumer? Yeah, great question. So when we think about the meat that's leaving most of these processing facilities, we have primals or very big chunks of meat. Uh, so whether it be a whole prime rib like you get on Christmas um, or whole sides of beef, and I don't know about you, but that doesn't fit in my fridge here in my apartment. And so we really play that role of being able to cut it down to a usable size steak and help add value to that. And it not only adds value to us from a business standpoint, but if we think about our end consumers or restaurants, and so for them to have an individually packaged, already trimmed steak, that's really a good option on their menu, especially we think right now in a time of COVID and some days we have really high attendance at our restaurants, you know, restaurants are full. And two weeks later, that restaurant may be empty and hardly serving any guests. And so our added value and preparation of the product really helps them to keep the meat on their table super fresh and basically optimal quality headed out the door. Especially when you're thinking, I mean, now literally everywhere you go, there's a help wanted sign. Places are running short. You hear restaurants that are go from, you know, traditionally having seven people on the line helping cook to having two, having those cuts and those products ready to go makes that whole system significantly smoother. And also just thinking like, you know, I always tell people and really talked about this on the last episode when I visited with Megan, who does research and development about every product that you see in the store has a meat scientist behind it, you know, developing those products. But they also have a company oftentimes like the one that you work for that are doing that kind of further value added. Um, Some packing plants will maybe do the hamburger there. They'll maybe do some of the cut steaks, but a lot of it is going to be a kind of second step in between. Well, and you think about it when you go out to eat with your family or friends, it's very rare that everyone orders a sirloin steak or a prime rib. And so restaurants have to have so many menu options and they may all have different pull through demands. So being able to have those um, package ready to go for the restaurants uh, helps in terms of labor, freshness, basically anything you can think of is very helpful for those restaurants. Absolutely. And so you haven't been with the company for too long um, and you've <laughs> taken on, I know, a lot of responsibility, but with that, there had to be a huge learning curve going from school into the workforce. And Can you just talk a little bit about how that transition went um, and your experience with that? Yeah, I think, you know, I always joked in grad school, I was busy and I was busy in a different way. In grad school, you're allowed to work on a few projects, you know, maybe it's two to five projects and really that's all of your focus. You get out into a career and in my everyday life, I'm working on 10, 20 different projects you're pulled into five or six meetings a day. I think it, I hadn't been on the job longer than a month and was already interviewing people because like the rest of the industry, we're hurting for good people to be in our workplace. And so I think being in the industry, you just have to be much more dynamic than you ever would have thought in grad school. And I think you also have the time of you go from being this student and you know you go to your professor when you have a hard question to now people come to you for the answer. 
So it's really being able to apply that knowledge and knowing how it's going to impact the product and everything like that. Yeah. And not, I mean, for you, not just a product, but you're kind of working with overseeing some people, that sort of thing too. It ends up just being a kind of huge factor. And, you know, I had that same thing about the, you know, in grad school, (laughs) I literally like once a week, usually multiple times a week, I would go sit in Dr. Kali. Dr. Kali was my major professor in his office and just talk about all of my problems <laughs> and, you know, ask him any question that I had. And now, you know, you have students coming to me asking questions. And if there's things that I don't know, even just, you know, for myself through programming, there's people I can bounce ideas off, but it's like, it comes to the point where you're the one who's making really that decision and um, just kind of a totally different spot to be in, I guess. Yeah. I think the day you realize like you can't call your major professor or text him with every question that comes your way is really like a reflectionary moment of like, this is my job. This is where I'm at right now. And I've had professors all across the United States, Colorado state, Nebraska, University of Idaho, who've been very helpful in my time here at Buckhead, we've had packaging issues I worked on um, and was able to reach out and connect with some of those faculty. So they've still been very good from that standpoint, but there's certainly a quick learning curve that happens in the industry. And another challenge that I think that we see in the meat industry that we aren't ready for coming straight out of grad school is you can't just put it off till tomorrow and like rerun those samples or wait, like we've got to get that product out to truck on trucks. It's got to go to our customers because that steak's going to be served the next day. Mm -hmm. So you really have to be making rapid decisions and understanding the benefits and consequences of every decision you make. And for you, you know, you went into this position now with doctor on your name. You did how many years of school to get to that point? And there's still though, like walking into that door, it's, it's a totally different environment. Like you have all of this base knowledge, but yet you really still had to learn your job. Would you agree with that at least? Well, I would definitely agree with that. And something interesting about my role is I'm the only trained scientist we have on site and really within a lot of our specialty meets groups. So I come from a very trained technical background but we also have people who are very like machine processing, inventory control background. And so while I was an expert in one very small area, there were a lot I had to learn, but it was very cool. Like now I get emails from restaurants and customers asking, hey, here's a problem we're facing. How do we fix it? So I definitely do think that my expertise is beginning to show, but wherever you go, there's always still a lot to learn. Right. Kind of finding that combination of like strong educational book smarts with just practical everyday, like being able to get the job done. That's awesome. And while you were in grad school, I know some, I mean, I helped with a lot of your projects, but specifically now you're still doing some dry aging with your job. So will you just talk a little bit about kind of what maybe some of your research projects in grad school look like and maybe how that carried over into your position. Yeah, so I really had two main focuses in my research. One was looking at these oversized carcasses 
the average carcass weight in this country has continued to increase at a linear rate and then COVID happens and we see a major spike in carcass weight. And well, that's a real benefit and we're able, better able to utilize the resources and everything that went into raising that animal. Not a lot has changed in terms of chilling down those carcasses. So in the round or the hind leg of the animal, we have a lot of meat and fat there and it's really hard to cool the product that's next to the bone. And so that's resulting in some discoloration, which is a visual factor consumers aren't gonna like. But then we also see some tenderness challenges. We see some juiciness and flavor challenges. And so my first project was looking at how do we really classify all of those changes we're seeing? And then how do we make a steak that's more consistent and when our consumers see it in a retail package, have a really consistent uniform project. And then on the totally opposite side of the spectrum, my dry aging research was looking at on a commercial scale, what is the flavor components? What are the cooler components that go into the dry aging process? And then how does that impact not only consumers and their perception of the flavor, but I also worked on developing a trained taste panel so we could quantify those flavors and really create a flavor matrix for all the locations we looked at. I, I, I'm not going to lie. Some of my favorite memories from grad school, like at the time they were terrible days, just like the worst thing. <laughs> but now looking back, they're some of the best memories. And one of them specifically was for your uh, project Big Butt, where we were doing the uh, looking at, you know, that uh, chilling rate and that sort of thing on those heavy carcasses would be we had to do pH and temperature checks. What was it? Wasn't it like every two hours or something for the first, I don't know how many hours, but basically we slept in the meat lab and were there overnight and it was terrible. Like every 25 minutes we had to go into the 38 degree cooler in the middle of the night and it was terrible, but also just one of my best memories, very like camaraderie building within the meats team. Yeah, I think the night that we hit Dutch Bros and then waited for McDonald's to open and went and got breakfast, took some more temperature <laughs> checks, and we're there to study for our anatomy and physiology exam the next morning. Like, I'm not yes. quite sure how we took some of these exams and made it through all of our classes and research, but oh, it was the days. I forgot about that one. But yeah, we got there at like 2 a.m., did temp checks, went to Dutch Bros, did more temp checks went to McDonald's and then went and we're studying by 5 a.m. What a time. I miss those days. I miss those days, but there's also times where I'm like, how did I do that? You know, you, you did a lot of things with meat stuff, not just, you know, your grad school and working in the industry now, but you did meat judging and you were involved with that stuff in your undergrad what advice would you give to students who either are just going into undergrad or maybe are kind of going through that program and considering a career path in the meat industry? Yeah, I would say definitely don't be afraid to try things. I got started in the meat industry uh, when I was at Colorado State and I had gone there to be on the livestock judging team, was bound and determined to do that. And a good friend of mine had said, sign up for the meat judging class. Like if nothing else, that'll be your fallback plan. And 
you know, by a chance of fate, it turns out I really enjoyed the challenge of meat jacking and was introduced to the industry that way. But I think the sooner you can get involved in it, the better, and at least find out that it's something you don't like. And the sooner that that happens, the better. But I think about our company today, and even if you're not a meat scientist, we have people in accounting, engineering, finance, uh, product development, sales, all that are somewhat related to meat, but you don't have to live and breathe meat every day. So in the meat industry, we need all of those people. And like everywhere, we are hiring quicker than we can get people to walk in the door. Right. It really doesn't matter what your interest is. There's a place for you, whether that be on the live side or on the meat side, or like you said, accounting, finance, HR, um, consumer relations, all of those things. Like it's, it's such a huge industry and there's so many interconnected pieces that there really is a place for everybody. Well, and even we have packaging people, spice people who are like representatives of their company that come to our plant. And so there's just like more careers than I could have ever imagined. And people have to eat. So the meat industry is always going to have a big demand and there's always going to be that pull through versus some other things, you know, might close down in a COVID pandemic, but the meat industry will still be here feeding people. Right. And, you know, on that, the comment with the spices and, you know, those different company reps that come in, there's a lot of students that, I mean, I was one of them when I was in animal science in my undergrad who, you know, they grew up seeing like, um, nutrition reps or animal health reps or that kind of thing. And there's a lot of very similar jobs to that, but instead of working with a farmer, you're working with a food company. So a lot of those sales kind of industry rep type positions. Um, is there anything in your kind of path to where you are now that you wish you would have done differently? Ooh, that's a hard question. I don't think there's anything I would have done differently because had I have done things differently, you know, I probably wouldn't have ended up getting my PhD at the University of Idaho. And then you wouldn't have met me. And then my life would be so very different. But (laughs) really, like, as a freshman headed into college, I don't think that would have been the right time for me to start in meat science. I think, you know, I'm fairly different. I went to a junior college for two years and then transferred to a senior college. And I think that really gave me the opportunity to better see the world. I got to travel to 40 of the 50 states on a livestock judging team and being on a meat judging team got to go into most of the harvesting facilities on the meat science side. So I think those were all really important places that led me to my master's and then to my PhD. And now I'm in what we always talk about is the real world. So all very important steps. And one change could have brought you somewhere totally different. Good answer. That was a yeah, I could have ended up in South Dakota instead. And you would have loved it. You would have eaten chislic all the time. And one product we do not make here at Buckhead. Someday. Derek, hey, Derek, come over here, actually. I'm going to toss this one over. Uh, Derek is Jessica's fiance. So he just joined us on the screen has no connection really with the meat industry except Jessica. How did you feel? These two also, I should say, are getting married this week. And so we're going to we're gonna do a little bit of a engagement thing. How did you feel when you started dating a girl who was in the, the meat sciences? Uh, I really had no issue with it. Um, 
I, I enjoy <laughs> eating meat. I enjoy things like burgers and uh, steaks and the like. And so it was an enjoyable experience. I learned early on that it's best to let the meat doctor pick out the meat at the grocery store because I am not an expert in that. She is very particular in what she wants. So it's just best to uh, let her do her thing and stay far away from that as possible. Um, when you go to the gro- grocery store with her, does she spend like way more time than necessary looking at the meats? Because same. Uh, well, it's always a space that we have to uh, go to. Uh, we always look at that space. There, uh, there is a quite a bit more critiquing, I would say, as far as whether it's packaging or cutting or sort of the quality of it where, you know, what they're putting out, um, whether it's discolored or whether it hasn't been discounted yet or something like that, you know. So there is a bit more of an analytical dive into the meat section than probably, you know, most people who are standing there uh, wanting to get something that is, uh, quote, less bloody um, than uh, something else there. Great answers. Okay, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And that's a look into what it's like dating a meat scientist. Being engaged and be married. Crazy. Being engaged and married. Yeah. Also, congrats on the upcoming nuptials. Anything else you want to throw out there or add in? I would just say, you know, it if you're a student listening, it's very intimidating to reach out to these people you hear on these podcasts. But we're all humans too. We've all been there. Um, and can serve as great mentors or connections to really get you started in this industry. We have tours that we bring through the facility every day. So take advantage of those opportunities. And the sooner you learn about the meat industry, the sooner you can find your place in it. And as a student, uh, people are willing to answer questions and they're willing to give you information because they're interested in having you work for them someday. So don't be afraid to reach out and make those connections. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week. It was great visiting with you and uh, just hearing a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me this week in the meeting room, and I look forward to visiting with you again soon.